from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast, Wednesday, December 27th, 2023. I hope everyone's having a good, nice, relaxing week. Really, it's been very fairly calm. Fairly enjoy this downtime as long as it lasts because it won't be there next week, right? And one thing to be very mindful of, by the way, is while we celebrate Christmas and New Year's here on December 24th and December 31st, our Eastern European counterparts celebrate, at least in the Orthodox Church, they celebrate it January 7th and January 14th. So expect some of that activity to also dwindle around that time of year for those folks as well. Um, so there's a lot there with that. Good morning, everyone. We're live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. Twitter's now X, Twitch and Rumble. Thank you all for being here as well. Um, so Pat Show, let's get into what's really keeping our minds busy this very, very slow week because there's a lot going on and a greater, greater kind of uh, approach towards security. You go check out our Substack. That's what you're seeing in front of you if you're watching us on the screen. Exclusive articles, exclusive content only on our Substack. You can become a free subscriber. You get access to that. If you become a paid subscriber, you get access to all of our locked and paid content. That's stuff that we invest a whole lot of time in producing and creating for all of our audience and all of our members. When you do become a subscriber for only $99 a year, we send you one of these awesome espresso mugs uh, so you can get that there as well. Um, that's an espresso travel mug. It's amazing. Join me for our coffee cup cheers this morning. Coffee cup cheers, y'all. Let's go ahead, kick off with Nissan claiming, well, being claimed that they're experiencing some sort of cyber attack, potentially a ransomware attack against the Nissan Motor Corporation and Nissan Financial Services in Australia and New Zealand. It's confirmed that on December 22nd, an, 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 I can't talk this morning, an unauthorized third party illegally accessed some of the company's networks in Australia and New Zealand. Cybersecurity agencies in both countries, as well as privacy regulators, have been notified. Akira has taken credit for the attack on Nissan, claiming to have stolen about 100 gigabytes worth of data, including corporate files and PII belonging to employees. They're now threatening to leak the data in the coming days, suggesting that Nissan is not willing to pay the ransom they have demanded. The Akira ransomware operation emerged in March and is believed to have some links to the notorious Conti group. Nissan is not the, one of the only car manufacturers being impacted by them as well. Toyota Germany also uh, were have fallen victim to these groups. And these groups are really focused on vertical and industry, by the way. You can kind of see that some of them are, some of them aren't. So let me not generalize this as a, as, as, as a rule of thumb. How they got in, what are the TTPs and IOCs? None of that has been made public yet. Um, I'm sure as time goes on, and especially given Australia's kind of approach to victims of crime um, and how they like to kind of go out and shame them, uh, we'll, we'll likely see more of that there as well. Integris Health, the largest nonprofit healthcare system in Oklahoma, is starting to inform patients of the data breach impacting their PII. The breach, which we covered here, occurred at the end of November. The attack didn't impact any sort of operations, but it did impact PII, including names, contact information, date of birth, demographic data, and social security numbers. The PII potentially affected 
uh, varied by individuals. So it lets you know kind of some of the things within the system. But how is it that there is a healthcare system that doesn't hash social security numbers? How is it that social security numbers are still readily available unhashed in these in in these environments in these data sets? I mean, you don't need it. There's nothing valuable in the social security number outside of billing. That's it. It's the only place. So Integris obviously is given, you know, the standard stuff upon discovering we've enacted all these things and we've called all these people and we're going to do our best to protect your data. I'm not saying they didn't do that before because they're a victim of a crime. However, there is some aspect to these, like, you know, at this point, do you even hire PR or do you just copy paste everyone else's statements um, and, and kind of make it your own? The attackers of the Integris claim they have stolen personal information of more than 2 million individuals. They're threatening to sell the data on the dark web. That could lead to insurance fraud, by the way, where they submit this data through uh, set up fake labs to insurance companies. Um, in some cases, we've seen this in Florida and in, in, in California and other places. Uh, the health clinics are actually in on it, meaning they're getting a cut of what they're billing the insurance company and what the criminals are walking away with. So there's that as well. They're continuing to investigate this event and the scope of the impact of data. They'll communicate with those and they're offering credit monitoring at no cost. Oh, the joy of credit monitoring with no cost. How much joy is available there? Um, poorly secured Linux SSH serves are being targeted by actors to install port scanners and dictionary attack tools with the goals of targeting other vulnerable servers and co-opting them into a network to carry out cryptocurrency mining and distributed denial of service attacks. These threat actors can also choose to install only scanners and sell the breached IPs and account credentials on the dark web, according to the on-lab security emergency response center. These attacks, in these attacks, adversaries try to guess a server's SSH credentials by running through a list of commonly used combinations of username and passwords called a dictionary attack. Specifically, the scanner is looking for port 22, which is associated with the SSH service, is active, and then repeats the process of staging the dictionary attack in order to install malware, so effectively propagating the infection. Another notable acts, uh, aspect of this specific attack is the execution of commands like grep C processor to determine the number of CPU cores. This helps them identify just how much they can actually mine on specific computing devices. GitHub is letting everyone know, enable MFA before our upcoming deadline. That deadline is January 19th, 2024. That's just a few short weeks away. It'll be required that all users have MFA. If you don't have MFA, you won't be able to access your account. So if you're a GitHub shop and you don't have MFA yet, you want to make sure to do so. Now, there's a proper way to do MFA, folks, and it's not text message. Get an authentication app. Uh, there's free ones by Microsoft, by Google. Um, some third-party companies also offer these. Use those. Uh, please do not use text in order to secure your GitHub account, which happens to be the lifeblood of most companies, especially when you're in software. In news around China, Chinese-linked attackers continue to target the Barracuda email security gateway zero-day appliance with Recent attacks involving exploitation of another zero-day vulnerability. This came to light back in May of 2023, if y'all recall. 
CVE 2023-2868 had been exploited since at least October of 2022 to deliver malware and steal data from a limited number of organizations that have been using the email security product. In June, Mandian attributed the attacks uh, with high confidence to UNC4841, an espionage group sponsored by the Chinese government. In these attacks, the attackers used initial access to the Barracuda devices by sending a specially crafted email to the targeted organizations that then delivered custom backdoors named Sea Spy Saltwater and Seaside Arukid named Sandbar. They've got a thing for water. Uh, Barracuda rushed to release patches, uh, but the attackers were re- relentless and continued to target the devices. And if you recall, Barracuda recommended replacing the devices all together. Barracuda is now issuing a new warning informing the public on Christmas Eve of all days that the same group has identified a new zero-day vulnerability affecting their ESG appliances. This flaw, CVE 2023-7102, described as an arbitrary code execution vulnerability, impacts the spreadsheet parse Excel and open source library used by Amavis virus scanner present in all of these devices. The attackers exploited the zero-day to deliver a new variant of the C-Spy and saltwater malware to a limited number of devices. They exploit leverage specially crafted Excel files attached to emails sent to victims. This was discovered on December 22nd. Barracuda said in a blog post, no action is required at this time as um, their investigation is still ongoing. The company's made available new IOCs for the recently observed malware variants, exploits, and infrastructure uh, that have targeted uh, entities in 16 countries, according to Manian, including government organizations, officials, academics, and academic research, as well as foreign trade offices. So there's that with China. The Cloud Atlas spirit phishing attacks are targeting Russian research companies as well as Russian enterprises. This is the first time we see something like this come out in terms of Russia targeting. Not the first time, but it's rare when we see this. The threat actor referred to as Cloud Atlas has been linked to spear phishing attacks on Russian enterprises. They've targeted the Russian agro-industrial enterprise, a state-owned research company, according to a report from FACCT, a standalone cybersecurity company formed after Group IB's formal exit from Russia. Cloud Atlas has been active since at least 2014. It's a cyber espionage group of unknown origin. It's also called Clean Ursa or Oxygen or Red October. The threat actor is known for its persistent campaign targeting Russia, Belarus, Azerbaijan, Turkey, and Slovenia. Checkpoint and Positive Technologies uh, detailed in December of last year a multi-stage attack sequences that led to the deployment of a PowerShell-based backdoor, uh, as well as a power shower, as well as a DLL payload capable of communicating with an actor-controlled server. Their starting point is a phishing message bearing a lore document that exploits CVE 2017-11882, a six-year-old memory corruption flaw in the office uh, equation editor to kickstart the execution. The actor's massive campaigns continue to use its simple but effective method in order to compromise the targets, according to Kaspersky. And so we're seeing uh, Russia um, getting a bit of an attack here and uh, a not-so-often-released report. The Pentagon has finally yesterday released the proposed rule on cybersecurity standards for contractors better known as CMMC. At last, the DOD has released its proposed rules. This has been something coming along the way. This was supposed to really kick off in 2021, but now Cyber CMMC 2.0, which includes enhancements to the initial program, first uh, really released during President Trump's uh, administration after reforming it 
um, are coming down to a final rule of this. The CMC is based on a tier cybersecurity framework that grades companies on a scale of one to five based on the level of classification and security necessary for their work. It was initially conceived to protect contractor information from being exploited. Officials in year, years past have attributed $600 billion in annual losses to cyber theft from adversaries. The proposed rule is slated to be released yesterday. The unpublished version is available on the Federal Registrar. 2.0 simplifies things with three key features. One, the first is a third model that requires uh, contractors to implement cybersecurity standards on a scale based on the sensitivity of information. The second is an assessment requirement that allows DOD to verify the implementation of the standards. And the third is implementation through contracts. Once CMC contracts are fully implemented, DOD contractors that handle sensitive information much must, must ah, I can't talk this morning, must achieve a particular CMMC level in order to win that perspective contract, meaning they've got to prove it before they win it. They can't do it after the fact. That's actually a good thing. So CMMC is making its way and its rounds. That's it for our show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up this week and this year. It'll be our last program of the year because we'll be back next year with a whole lot uh, more then. So stay tuned for that. Thank you all for tuning in this morning. We see all your comments. Thank you to Eric. Thank you to Mike. Thank you to everyone else, uh, Joe, and, and so many others, Bob, and so many others that have tuned in this morning. Thank you all for being part of the program. Really appreciate all y'all. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up this year and this week. Without further ado, have a great rest of your day, y'all, and stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.